Hey y'all, this is Sam. And this is Steven. And welcome to Crimeology. This is episode 18, and this week we have a special guest with us, my sister, Tabitha. Hey everyone. Um, this week we're doing a case that um, is part of a Netflix series. Um, it's called When They See Us, and it's a part of Netflix's Black Lives Matter collection. And so uh, when the series came out, me and my sister watched it together. And so I wrote it down and was like, we've got to do that as a case later. Um, so, of course, had to have my sister here with us to kind of chime in and give her input um, when she wants to. Um, so, like I said, episode 18. Um, thank you guys so much for support. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I'm going to I try to when we have cases that are kind of a lot more intense, I try to give kind of a warning. Um, not that this case is an intense one physically, but it's a, an intense one mentally. And what I mean is like that we're not going in details about like, there's not a whole lot of blood gore and stuff like that. So it's not physically that way. Um, but mentally, this is a case about five kids boys who were charged for this case that they never committed um if you haven't watched this tv series i highly suggest you go watch it it was one of those that it was phenomenally done um the lead actor in this tv series like won so many awards um it was just a good it was it's one of those that like i never knew this case existed before the tv series and so Anyways, it's a very intense uh, story, and it's a very even intense TV series when they um, play it on screen. But I highly suggest you go watch it. Um, and so, kind of just wanted to give a little bit of a warning that it is going to be a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of police interrogating these kids and doing things they shouldn't have and so it's intense in that kind of aspect again not a physical but a mental um so with that we're gonna get into the episode so this case is the kind of nicknamed the central park five these five boys are kevin richardson who is 14 Raymond Santana, who's 14, Antron McRae, who's 15, Yusuf Salam, who's 15, and then Corey Wise, who is 16. So on the night of April 19th, 1989, um, Trisha Maley was beaten and raped while she was jogging in Central Park. So this same night, a large group, about 30 to 40 black boys uh, were in the park committing other crimes. So they were terrorizing bicyclists. They attacked a 50-year-old man and then attacked two other men, leaving them in the hospital with head injuries um, and even attacked a public school teacher while she was jogging. So after all of this happens, the police were called to the park. And of course, all this big group of boys they all scatter. They all run. Um, a number of them were arrested that same night. And included in those, that number who was arrested is Kevin and Raymond. So from our five boys we're talking about, those were the only two that were arrested the night of the crime. 
So the police were going to release all of the kids that were arrested with family court orders before prosecutor, who is known for this case, Linda Fairstein, she steps in and she tells police to interview all of the kids because this rape did happen in the park. So these kids, and so her mindset is basically somebody, somebody in this group of kids did it. So we need to interview all of them and not let any of them go. Um, so like I said, Raymond and Kevin were arrested the night of, um, Antron, Yusuf, and Corey were all arrested the next day. So Antron was picked up because he had a friend who was arrested the night of the crime and said that he was with, um, Antron. So like, that's how the connection was made was that, you know, like if me and Tabo were together and Tabo was picked up, Tabo would be like, well, I was with Sam that night and then I go and I was picked up. So that's how the connection is made. And then I'd come uh, right. get you out of jail. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Yusuf and Corey were together when Yusuf was arrested. And Yusuf was on the list of people needing to be questioned. But the TV series makes it seem like Corey was not even on police's radar. Corey was in that group of boys who went to the park. Um, but like I said, it just it made it seem like Corey wasn't on police's radar. And so the only reason Corey was picked up was because he was with Yusuf. So police come up to Yusuf and they kind of make it seem like, Oh, you'll come right back. Like we just need, we just need to come ask you a few questions. We'll bring you right back. And so they kind of look at Corey and they're like, you can come with them. Like no big deal. Come with him. And so Corey decides to go with Yusuf because he's like, if my mom found out that I let, Yusuf go with police by himself like she'd be so mad at me so Corey goes with Yusuf and so that's how those three are picked up after the the next day so now all the boys are at the police station and then they start being interrogated so at this point I'll remind you of their ages Kevin and Raymond are 14 Antron and Yusuf are 15 and then Corey is 16 if a child is under the age of 16, they have to have a guardian with them when being questioned or interrogated. The only person who had a guardian with them the whole time during their interrogation was Antron. Okay. Raymond's father had to work the morning that Raymond was arrested. So he left Raymond's grandma with Raymond but she didn't speak any English. So during his interrogation, they like escorted his grandma, grandmother out of the room. And basically, I mean, again, we don't know what was said to the grandma, but they got said something to her to make her leave the interrogation room. And so then police said, well, the grandma voluntarily left. So we interrogated him. So, like, they're saying grandma left the room, which means that was her saying, okay, you can interrogate him alone. Same, kind of the same concept with Kevin. Kevin's mother had some really serious health issues during this time. So, while they were waiting for Kevin to be questioned, she got sick. So, she had to, you know, either run home to get medications or, you know, she ran out somewhere to help her get something make her feel better and then when police found out that the mom left again 
they look at that saying, your mother voluntarily left so you can be interrogated alone. So that's how those two were able to be interrogated alone. Um, Yusuf's ID at the time of his arrest said that he was 16, even though he wasn't. So when police pick him up and even Yusuf says, I'm not really 16, I'm 15. They're like, well, your ID says 16. So that's why he was interrogated alone. And the same thing with Corey. Corey is 16, so he's interrogated alone. So the boys go through at least seven hours of interrogation each, where police go from room to room telling the boys that the other boys being questioned were telling them that they were the ones to commit the rape. So what I mean is like, they were going to Taba and saying, hey, Sam's saying that you did it. Like Stephen and Sam are saying that you did it. And then going to Stephen and saying, Sam and Taba are saying that you, that you did that. But... At this point, the only boys out of these five that knew each other were Corey and Yusuf. Um, the thing, the big thing with Antron is that Antron goes by Tron. So when police were coming into the room and they're saying, hey, all of these kids are saying Antron did it. Antron did it. He's like, how would they say Antron did it? Because like everybody knows me by Tron. And so like, again, referring it back to me my name is samantha but i don't go by samantha so like that would be them saying S samantha they're saying you did it i'd be like nobody calls me samantha so like why would they be like no samantha she did it they'd be like no sam did it like you know i mean steven calls me samantha but just like to, just to really irritate you cause but I know, like because i know you hate it right <laughs> but nobody else is gonna be like samantha she did it like no don't use my full name anyways so, like, those are, that's, like, the first thing that Antron notices is that he's, like, I go by Tron. Like, most people don't even know my full name. So, like, how are these people that I've never met before going to call me Antron when they don't even know? So, after being hours of, in these interrogation rooms, they're deprived of food, of water, they're being beaten, and just having their minds messed with, four out of the five boys made a videotape confession admitting i'm using quotation marks admitting to their part um, of the crime along with the other boys parts and the rape i believe the only boy to not make a video confession is yusuf um and that's because his mother ended up coming to the police station like right at the last second she obviously yusuf doesn't come home when he's supposed to so she starts calling around and asking like have you seen my son and i think through the grapevine she finds out that he was picked up by police and so she goes to the police station and basically like picks him up at the last second like right as they're about to start um recording him she kind of picks him up but later on in an interview, later, uh, Yusuf does say that he heard police beating Corey in the other room and he started to work with police because they were telling him, like, you don't start working up with us, you're next. Like, you you hear everything that's happening with him, you're going to be next. Um, Antron's dad ends up telling Antron to lie and to tell police what they wanted him to hear. He said... That's the only way you're going to get out of this, and you've just got to tell them what they want. It turns out that Antron's dad did some time in the past. He's, you know, he's moved on. He's got a really good job at this point. Life is pretty good for him. 
So he kind of steps out of the interrogation room trying to talk to cops and the cops kind of turn on him and they're like, don't you work over there? Like, that's a pretty good job. Do they know you did time? Huh? It'd be funny if they found out, you know, kind of like you need to get your kid to start working with us or we can make your life crazy. So, um, Antron says in an interview after he's released that his dad left and that when he came back in, it was like he was a completely different person. And that's when he told him, like, you've got to do what they want you to do. Um, I think Antron's story is sad because his dad ends up leaving the family because of all of this. And it's just kind of whatever excuse he has, very overwhelmed or whatever. But he does end up leaving. Um, he, so he basically tells his son, you've got to admit to this crime. I know you didn't do it, but you got to admit to it. And then, like, never sees Antron again. So it's kind of, I mean, it is sad. It's not kind of sad. It is sad. So at the time Kevin was arrested, the night of the rape, he was tackled by a policeman. And he was hit over the head with the policeman's helmet. And he had a big scratch on his face. So the police used this scratch to tell the other boys that Kevin had to be involved. So they're now they're going to the other boys and they're like, Kevin's got a big scratch. So obviously Kevin did the rape. So there's no point in even saying you did the rape because we know Kevin did it. Um, and we'll talk about the trials later. There's two separate trials for the boys. Um, Kevin or Raymond Antron and Yusuf are in a trial by themselves Kevin and Corey are in a trial by themselves and really this scratch kind of ends up being Kevin's downfall because they kind of use this to say um why like why would why would you have this scratch if you weren't involved in this case and so Corey being 16 so but we'll talk about that later so Raymond's dad would later on say that he told his son to go to the park that night while he was at work because he said he thought his son would be safer at the park than just on the streets of New York. So he blamed himself every part of the way through this. Um, so that's sad also. Um, so now we're going to talk about the timeline of the crimes and what the prosecutors say. So the prosecutors released a statement saying that the rape occurred between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. First off, saying a, saying a rape happened in an hour, like that's a lot of time that you're just like, yeah, it happened somewhere in there. So anyways, just throwing that out there now. But let's talk about the other crimes that were committed this night. Around 9.08 is about the time that the two men were attacked with the head injuries that happened about 9.05. 9.10 is when the bicyclist said that they were harassed. 9.15 is when the 50-year-old was attacked. And then about 9.30 is when the school teacher was attacked. So now, if the last... um, What is the word I'm looking for? The last assault we have is at 9.30... And you're saying the rape had to occur between 10 to 11. That's about 30 minutes in there that you don't have mapped out. Like you don't have anything in that time. So now let's talk about our victim's timeline. Trisha is an experienced runner. She averages about an eight minute mile. 
So she calls her boyfriend at 9 p.m. She's out of her apartment at 9.05. If she does average an eight-minute mile, that would mean she would be at the site of the rape at 9.15. Now, you've got about 45 minutes from where she, like, if she does run that, and she's at the spot of the rape at 9.15, but prosecutors are saying the rape didn't happen until 10, that's 45 minutes that you've got of nothing, you know? So the prosecutor's issue is, how can the boys be two places at the same time when the site of the rape we talked about is on the complete other side of the park than all of the other crimes? So this is the big story that the prosecutor's team is kind of saying, hey, this is a big gap in your case. So before we go to trial, you need to figure out how to fill this gap. So this is where the videotapes come to play. So all five boys, when they admit to the crime, they all have five different boys, have five different stories. And of course, all of them are saying, you know, I held her arm down, but I didn't really commit the rape. So like, of course, they're not going to say I committed the rape. So when they started recording each boy's confession, they started to use the next boy's story to fill in the spots that the story before them created. So what I mean is that Taba would go and she'd record her story and she'd say, here's what happened. They'd watch Taba's video and they'd be like, here's a spot that needs to be filled. Here's a spot that needs to be filled. So then they'd record me. And they'd come to me and they'd say, you need to make sure you say this and this and this to fill in the spots that Tabba's video made. And then they'd watch my video and do the same thing with Steven. Tell Steven, you've got to say this, this, and this to fill in the spots. So this is when Corey comes into play. So in a nutshell, Corey is brought in just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He gets picked up with his buddy. And so maybe if he wasn't with Yusuf, he never would have been picked up and never would have been in this situation. But any, anyways, they interrogate Corey and he's the last one to be videotaped and they use his videotape confession to complete the puzzle. So he goes from not even being on police's radar to being the last piece of the puzzle. So... Like I said, when it comes to trial, they did two different trials. The first one was with Antron, Yusuf, and Raymond. They each had their own defensive counsel, and trial went from June 25th to August 18th, 1990. Each boy was acquitted of attempted murder, but convicted of assault and rape of the female jogger, each sentenced to the maximum allowed for juveniles, which is between 5 to 10 years, because they were all younger than 16. The second trial was with Kevin and Corey. This began on October 22nd and ended sometime in December. So Kevin was the only one of the five to actually be convicted of attempted murder in addition to the assault of the jogger. Corey, being 16 years old, was charged as an adult. He was convicted of lesser charges of sexual sexual abuse and assault, um, and he received 5 to 15 years in prison. 
The only evidence that the court had besides the videotaped confessions was semen that didn't match any of our victims, grass and dirt stains from the boy's clothing, and two hairs that was found in Corey's underwear described as consistent with the victim's hair. Um, I tried to look and see if they did any test of this um, because I feel like we've got technology nowadays that you could take that hair you found and then take the victim's hair and like put it side by side and check it out. But just the fact that you're like, oh, this is consistent with the victim's hair. So that's a point off Kevin, you know? So anyways, that's just, um, so he was sentenced, uh, Kevin is sentenced to 10 to five to 10 years in a juvenile facility. So after their time and after they were released, Yusuf served six years and eight months and was released on parole. Raymond served six years and nine months and released on parole. In 1998, though, he violated his parole and was sentenced to three and a half to seven years on drug charges. Um, and he was later released in 2002. Kevin served seven years and released on parole. Antron served six years and released on parole. And then Corey served 13 years and eight months in multiple state prisons. And he was, uh, he was released in 2002. So now here's where we talk about the person who actually committed this crime, this rape. His name is Mateus Reyes. He was in prison by being involved of a string of rapes and murders and just happened to be in the same prison as Corey was during a set amount of time. So Reyes met Corey twice. That first time, again, the TV series makes it seem like Reyes knew who Corey was and was kind of like, not, not that he said anything or he mentioned anything, but like he knew who Corey was. Um, they were both transferred to a different prison. And again, it just happened to be the same prison that they were both transferred to. So they meet again. The second time they met is when Reyes told him, hey, I was the one to commit this rape and I did it alone. So when Reyes comes forward and admits to the crime, that's when all of the boys were released, even though most of them had served most of their sentences. Um, he Reyes said he wanted to come clean about everything because he had found God in prison. So Reyes, on the other hand, was never prosecuted for the rape because the statute of limitations was up. So that's what all sucks in the end is that these boys, you know, most of them served six, seven years um, of your 10-year, uh, what's the word, sentence, and the guy who really does it never gets prosecuted. So on their release, the five boys filed, or men at this point, uh, they file a silver, civil suit against New York City, and they received $41 million. Corey received $12 million by being charged as an adult on his side of that suit. Um, 
And then when Raymond was released, he did admit that there was a mugging that night in the park that he was a part of, but that he was not a part of the rape. And Linda, the prosecutor, to this day stands firm in in saying she knew they were a part of something. It may not have been this rape that they were a part of, but she knew that they were involved in something. Um, So that's this case. And so, like I said, if you haven't watched the TV series, highly recommend you do. It was really good. Um, And so this is just... It's a case that it's wilds that I've never heard of before until the TV series, but it's eye-opening. And um, if we can use our platform to talk about cases like this and get it a little bit more acknowledgement, um, I think that's the whole point of doing a podcast like this is bringing light to cases like this. So with that being said... We're going to take a little break, talk about our sponsor for this episode, and then we'll come back with our Florida Man Minute. All right, now we're going to do our Florida Man Minute. This is our segment where we Google a random date along with the words Florida Man, and we just sit back and giggle at the article that Stephen comes up with. Okay, so I have a question, as always. So... Since Tabo, since you're living with Sam for the summer, this this works out very great. This can this can spark some ideas. Okay, so if you were going, so say Sam is sleeping in, which apparently never happens because she's up at the butt crack of dawn. Yeah. Um, if you were going to have a creative way to wake her up, oh no, what would you do? So funny that you ask. We have three cats. Love cats. Um. <laughs> And the other day, I needed, like, a specific shirt that I knew that she had. So, but her door was closed, which it never is. Um, And I opened the door, and the cats got in, and I couldn't get them out. But I tried to go get the shirt from her closet. Anyways, my my kitten, she's a pain. She ended up waking Sam up. I knew exactly that was what's going to happen. And that was her one day, like, this month that she got to sleep in. So... I'd probably just do that. Just just go with the cat option. The door was closed, so that way I could sleep. And so the cats were outside so that they wouldn't leave. And then she jumps on me and I was like, Why is my door open? Oops. I <laughs> I didn't I didn't get the shirt either. So it was just bad. Pointless visitation. Anyways. <laughs> so Sam, what would you do to what creative way to wake up Tabba if she's oversleeping or just, you know? I, I, I mean, I, I could use the cat option. She always sleeps with her door shut. Um, I hate waking up to those cats. Those cats really will just, especially mine. She just gets on you and she meows, but she like screams until you look at her. And then she's like, okay, like time to start the day. But there's good, like water is always an option. Dumping water. Um, ice cubes are always an option. Um, hey, you're you're actually on the right track great. here. No, here we go. Um, so May fifteenth, um, two thousand nineteen. Uh, oh, recent. Yeah, a couple, just a few years ago. This comes to us from the Martin County area down in Florida. Um, a Florida man used an unusual 
and I'm going to say this in quotes, a uh, weapon to attack his living girlfriend. Uh, the headline is this. His girlfriend was sleeping, so he used a cheeseburger to wake her up. Whoa. Ow. <laughs> Keep going. Are, are you intrigued now? <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, according to Martin County Sheriff Office, Kyle Jameson Jones was arrested last Saturday night after the woman called police uh, telling them that he woke her up by slapping her in the face with a cheeseburger. Arrested? <laughs> That's wild. In a in a sworn statement, the woman told deputies that after Jones abruptly woke her up, the 30-year-old man then pulled her by the hair and kicked her down the stairs. Whoa. Okay. That's okay. why he's arrested. Yeah, uh, yeah there we go. I was hamburger. like, what? Wow. So the, the report says there was no physical injuries to uh, substantiate the woman's story, but deputies were able to identify several remnants of said cheeseburger on her person. <laughs> <laughs> She's got like pieces of cheese on her. She's got some ketchup in there. Uh, Jones later admitted that there was an, quote, altercation at the house and was subsequently arrested on domestic battery charge. So short one, a little bit, I mean, they're all kind of sad in a way, but kind of a funny uh an interesting way to wake somebody up by slapping them with a cheeseburger. Yeah, you, you Taba said arrested. I was just like, yeah, that's kind of far Extreme. out there. But when you push someone down the stairs, I yeah. can I, I can see it. Yeah, that makes sense. We I'd have, arrest you too. We have stairs at our house. Be careful. You might put like a mattress or down there at the bottom <laughs> of it, just to be safe. This is where I get, this is where we get ideas. This Florida Man Minute, watch out. Last week it was belly buttons. This week it's stairs. Be careful. Man. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, it's been a while since we've recorded. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm out of words for now. Yeah. We, Stephen went on vacation last week. So. To Florida. Yeah. About two weeks ago. I went into the heart of it and did some, um. Went on assignment. That's right. <laughs> so it's been a it's been about a week since we've recorded. So it's we always joke. I think we all we have to start <laughs> we have to start episodes over again because I stutter like just now. But we always have to do about we get about five minutes into the episode and I look to Steve and I'm like, can we do that over again? And so this was a week in particular. That I was like, it's been a week, and I'm not mentally, I was like, we take a week off, and all of a sudden, I forget how to talk. Um, I mean, I'm the only other person you see besides your sister. Right. So, eh, so I don't know. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, episode 18 with my sister. Oh, yeah. Um, so, as always, thank you guys for listening. Um, thank you guys for your continued support. Um, and you guys can follow us on social medias. Um, we're on, we're at Crimeology Pod on pretty much everything. Um, each week when we post about our episodes, I post all of the so, uh, source material on our Facebook page. So if you have any interest about that stuff, you can go to our Facebook page and look for all of that. Um, I'll post the Netflix uh, series on there and different articles that I read about this case on there. Um, and then we've got an email. If you have any suggestions or anything, you can email us at crimologypod at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, thank you, Taba, for being here and talking about cats and burgers and everything. How to wake you up. <laughs> right. Um, 
but yeah, that is episode 18. So, like always, my name is Sam. This is Steven. And this is Tabitha. And this is Crimology. Crimology.